Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. Again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and you are listening to Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now. So if you go to that website, you can listen to us anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Folks, we've got uh, Andrea Beach here today with us. Uh, uh, Andrea is a good citizen of uh, Louisville and uh, Kentucky and uh, the United States and actually has is, is very concerned, very concerned about the people of Afghanistan, the future of Afghanistan and the American role uh, in Afghanistan, and particularly our, uh, our, our sort of unfortunate exit uh, from uh, the country uh, as we speak. Uh, so, uh, Andrea, welcome to our show. Thank you. So, Andrea, uh, what piqued your interest in Afghanistan, and what do you see on the horizon uh, for the United States or for the people of uh, Afghanistan? Well, I, I was watching your Rachel Maddow show, and she was interviewing the governor of Guam about the, uh, the potential of having some evacuees coming over there uh, to be uh, to have brought to safety some of these Afghan interpreters and their families. And she was waiting there with open arms, and the Biden administration had not even contacted her. I knew we were in trouble then, and because I knew what was waiting for these people if we don't get them out. They will be uh, tortured, raped, and murdered. They will be hunted down. And, and so it, it isn't like just another day at the office for them if, uh, if we leave, uh, they will have a terrible fate. And we are responsible for putting them in that position. And we have a, made a promise to them that if they served as our interpreters, uh, that, that they would be given a visa and they and their families would be allowed to go to the United States. And I think we, should, we need to keep that promise. And, I, and, uh, and I'm very concerned that those people, especially in outlying areas of Afghanistan, which is a little bit smaller than Texas, are not going to be able to be brought to safety. Even the people in Kabul are having trouble getting to the airport and being brought out of there. So uh, the promise may not be kept. And I don't think, I think the, uh, the fate of the Afghans is horrible if they don't get out, but also the fate of the United States and future cooperation uh, with other countries and their people with our own military is in jeopardy because those people in the military depend upon us, depend upon these people for their very survival. And, uh, it, you know, they, they need that interpretation. They, they come to the country, uh, the soldiers are culturally ignorant, uh, ignorant of the terrain, ignorant of the language. How can they actually navigate at all without the help of these people? And so they call upon them, and they get their help, and they save their lives. And we have lost a lot. Of, we've lost, of course, we've lost too many people. But the Afghans have actually lost many, many more. So, 
And I think uh, there was a kind of uh, sort of confusion about, you know, why we went to war, uh, you know, how we got in, um, uh, how long should we stay, why we, why we were there. There was a lot of confusion around those issues. And, for instance, when Afghanistan uh, and the invasion first happened, uh, it was to uh, find uh, uh, al-Qaeda because al-Qaeda had attacked uh, uh, New York City. So we were looking for, you know, al-Qaeda, which had a, you know, was sort of residing in Afghanistan. And so the question is, well, after we take out al-Qaeda, then what do we do? And, and so the decision was made uh, to stay in Afghanistan. Now, uh, uh, there was a lot of focus uh, uh, originally, and then the focus shifted very quickly to Iraq because George W. Bush really wanted to go to Iraq in the first place. Now, Iraq had nothing to do with, uh, of course, we're coming on the anniversary of uh, uh, September 11th, uh, 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 but uh, uh, Iraq had nothing to do with it. But the Bush administration and Dick Cheney, they wanted to go to Iraq, so they shifted focus from Afghanistan to Iraq, and, and but uh, we still stayed in Afghanistan. So we introduced the people of Afghanistan to the 21st century, uh, allowed people to go to school and uh, women to work and all of these things that sort of go along with the 21st century really changed the country in 20 years as far as paved roads and electricity and flush toilets and running water and all of those things, right? The 21st century. Uh, and so, uh, and then uh, we decided to leave and say, well, you know, we're tired. You have to go back to the ninth century. Uh, so this is very unseemly for a great power. That is, uh, you know, whether we were right to, to stay so long in Afghanistan, uh, that's one question. I mean, should we have just gone in there, destroyed al-Qaeda, and then left? Uh, perhaps. Uh, perhaps uh, I guess you could make that argument. Uh, so, uh, but we didn't. Uh, we stayed in and uh, engaged uh, with some people disparagingly called nation building, but some that we did in Japan after the war, South Korea, uh, and rebuilt Europe with the Marshall Plan. And then you hear some people say, well, we were there for 20 years. Why can't they stand on their own? Well, um, we don't know today that South Korea could defend itself if we left. We don't know that. We don't know that Western Europe could defend itself against, say, Russia if we left. We don't know that. And we don't want to know. <laughs> That's why we have these uh, agreements so that uh, that we don't have to find out whether or not South Korea can defend itself or whether Germany or France or Spain or can defend itself. We don't want to find that out. That's why we have these military agreements to avoid that test. So, uh, 
And so, uh, you know, we make this tremendous investment and then just, just walk away and write the investment off. And uh, But the problem is, it's not just uh, uh, a business deal where, uh, uh, you know, uh, you're writing off, uh, uh, you know, you know, raw materials or, or construction equipment or, uh, or real estate or uh, you're writing off a whole nation. Uh, and so is that very seemly or a wise move for a great power to make? That is being a, the sole remaining superpower. It's a lot of responsibility. Uh, and, uh, and so that's something that previously we agreed to take on that responsibility. And so we're not a minor power. We're the United States. So, and our allies are not happy because uh, they agreed with us to go to uh, Afghanistan. We didn't discuss with them our withdrawal and uh, the peace deal that, uh, uh, that Trump Negotiated with the Taliban, he cut out the, the government of, of Afghanistan uh, from the peace deal. Uh, so, uh, very unseemly exit, and uh, not something designed to gain respect for the United States of America. So, Andrea, um, what do you see? Uh, that is, there was just. Uh, Thursday, this uh, making this recording on a Friday, uh, 11 Marines and one corpsman were killed uh, uh, in Kabul, United States Marines. Uh, evidently, there's an organization, uh, uh, is it ISIS-K, or something of that sort. So what, what do you see, uh, Andrea? Uh, this may have, have happened no matter how we decided to get out of the war. There may have been terrorist attacks. I mean, uh, fortunately, ISIS-K and the Taliban are enemies, so uh, that, that's good for us. However, the poor planning that went into this thing is monumental. Um, from uh, not consulting our allies prior to deciding to exit, just unilateral deciding, well, we're going to exit. Well, that puts them in the position, since we're linchpin, of also having to exit. exit. Not processing SIVs visas expeditiously, probably intentionally, especially on the part of the Trump administration, who had Stephen Miller and his henchmen in there slowing down uh, visas, because they probably didn't want these people coming over here in the first place. So these people that were eligible for these SIV visas were twisting in the wind for years not getting one, which is ridiculous. But that caused a huge backup, which did not have to happen. And then, um, you know, we have one airport in Afghanistan. That's ridiculous as well. We should have had a plan, and it should have not have been announced to the world. It should have been a secret plan how we're going to do this with our allies. I, I, you know, I go back to that, with our allies, not keeping them in the dark, not uh, disregarding them. I mean, it's just rude, for one thing, but it's also impractical. And then um, 
So, uh, and then we have to, we need to go out to these outlying areas and pick out these people. And uh, so they can bring, we, we could have started doing that, bringing these people from outlying areas into uh, the airport area so they can be evacuated. And then stop fooling around with these visas and stuff like that, uh, because obviously we're incompetent handling that stuff. So just take them to safety, work out the paperwork later. And then, it's, and this is something that I wasn't really familiar with, and I'm still not super familiar with it at all, but I've heard various people talk about the fighting season in Afghanistan. So I looked it up on the, uh, and Googled it. And the fighting season is April to October. Now we're right in the middle of that. So having an exit during the fighting season puts extra emphasis and makes it much more difficult. And it says in uh, on the uh, uh, computer that or on uh, Google that Afghan suffers from a harsh winter combined with uh, Afghanistan's poor transportation system. This leaves many parts of the country snowbound until spring. Very importantly, it leaves many routes into Pakistan where recruits and weapons come from impassable for months. So we should have waited uh, until uh, you know at least. Uh, you know, maybe November to do something. Uh, I mean, doing it in the middle of the fighting season when these people are uh, available, and they also do their uh, opium poppies, they plant them in October and harvest them in April. So this is a busy time for them in other areas. But then when they're released from that, they are, they're free to go into the fighting thing. So this is very, very poorly planned. And this has put... Uh, Makes, makes everybody much more vulnerable. And not to say this wouldn't have happened in any event about a terrorist attack, but it just makes it more inevitable, more probable, more likely, and, uh, you know, multi-attack, you know. So what happened was, you know, the biggest air base that we were using, uh, 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 you know, we turned it over to the... Um, uh, Afghan military completely shut down. Um, but while we turned it, would do with that, we shut down everything, electricity, water, uh, uh, just shut it down completely and then turned it over to our, you know, our the Afghan military and uh, left. Uh, and I don't understand why we would do that. That is, one, we could have used that air base to... Uh, evacuate people and uh, that's one and two that is the Afghan military should have been sitting right beside the American military when we make the turnover that is for instance if you're in the uh, air traffic control tower the way you would turn a base over is you would have an American sitting in, in a chair and an Afghan sitting right next to him and then you would turn it over to them that is, if you were in the power plant for the base, you would have an American standing right next to an Afghan, and then you would turn it over to them with everything up and running. Uh, uh, you don't shut everything down, then leave, then turn it over to the Afghans. It's almost as if you don't care. It's almost as if we're leaving and we don't care when you do it that way. Uh, that's what should have happened. And that air base should have been kept up and running 
uh, to help evacuate people so people wouldn't be jammed into Kabul trying to fight their way through uh, uh, crowds and the Taliban to get to the, the Kabul air, uh, airport. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. We had all these bases in Afghanistan uh, previously. All those bases could have been used to evacuate people who needed to be evacuated. Uh, so uh, I don't understand why everybody is crowded into Kabul. I don't understand that. Uh, and then uh, we only have half the Kabul airport. Uh, we have the military half. And uh, I don't understand that either, why we didn't, if that's what we're going to do, we didn't uh, keep control of the entire airport so that we would have more room to operate. Uh, so I don't understand it. Uh, uh, it. It doesn't look good. And I don't understand uh, that is the... That is, our general officers are probably the best trained in the history of the world. Everybody with a star on their shoulder in the American military has a bachelor's degree uh, and a master's degree. They've all been to the Army War College, the Navy War College, the Air War College. Some of them are military academy graduates. Uh, and they all, all have had 25, 30 years of experience before they got the star on their shoulder. Uh, we have a logistics command. We have an airlift command. Uh, so, and they must have been advising President Biden about how to do this the right way. And in course, in military schools, you you study retreats, you study evacuations. Uh, that's part of the curriculum, right? And so, I don't understand how. We are replicating the disaster of uh, Saigon in 1975 while denying that it's exactly the same as disaster in Saigon in 1975. It's exactly the same. So uh, I don't understand the depth of this failure. I don't understand it. We're too well educated. Our, our military is too well trained. Biden has been in politics for 40 years. The people around him and his team are experienced. And then people are saying, well, it just had to turn out that way. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't. Uh, I am not impressed by this at all. Our people are too well educated, uh, too experienced. Uh, these, you know, retreats have been studied. Evacuations have been studied. Uh we can't be this bad. But I will say it, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the invasion of the Cap Capitol building in, in January 6th. I mean, uh, there were police experts who, saying, who were saying then, we can't be that bad. So something is definitely going wrong. So, Andrea... Uh, what next? What should we be doing now? That What you were suggesting was that there's kind of a choke point in Kabul, and as far as the paperwork, we're, we're just not doing a good job, so we just need to take people to safety. 
And I would say that as long as, I mean, we're checking everybody to make sure they don't have any explosives on them. So as long as there's no, you know, uh, you know, yes. And so as I understand what the what the military airlift is doing, the military airlift is not flying people to direct to the United States. We're using a military airlift to get people out of Kabul and then to uh, 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 another location. And then we're going to. We're using other aviation resources, some civilian, to fly people to other countries in the United States. So that's what we're doing. We're using the military aircraft just to get people out of Kabul. Because the military aircraft, a lot of them can hold a lot of people, but not in comfortable situations. There's a lot of nylon netting that you strap yourself to. I've been on a military aircraft before myself. Uh, and yes, with a lot of military aircraft, you can bolt in seats, but if you bolt in the seats, uh, you carry less people. But if you have the nylon webbing that you can strap yourself to, uh, you can get a bunch more people aboard uh, a military aircraft. So that's what they're doing. Uh, uh, they're getting uh, people from Afghanistan to you know, a safe location outside of Afghanistan and then uh, using other types of aircraft to transport them to other places. So uh, so what do you think about uh, some folks being who assisted us uh, being uh, sent to other countries besides the United States? Well, the, my main focus is get them safety, and we can work out all the details later. Uh, I know that uh, some of these people who were the interpreters had very strong advocates here in the United States who have been their military partners, their, their uh, members of the military, and they have stayed in touch with these people, their interpreters, and they've been really strong advocates to try to help them and get their families out. I'm also concerned about the people who don't have those strong advocates. They're African interpreters. But they kind of get lost in the uh, lost in, in the uh, the crush. They're, you know, they don't have that one person or two people that'll just focus on them and their family to get them out. And so, um, you know, I I, I I really don't care where they go as long as they're safe, and we can work out the details of where they go from there uh, onward. Uh, in many ways. Uh, you know, like, for instance, there was one person uh, that was featured on the Rachel Maddow show, and they had a name for him. They called him Zach. Well, he had a he had a really uh, strong advocate, American military man that was an advocate, who for years helped him, sent money and everything, because this fellow was in hiding. He knew that he was being tracked. He had uh, warning letters coming to him. He knew that he had several children and a wife, and uh, but... I mean, it was nip and tuck getting him out of that country. So coming to the United States, he eventually, eventually he went to Qatar. Uh, he did get out with his family to Qatar, but all, they, they, all of them don't have that same commitment, you know, somebody who's really committed to trying to get their man out. And if they go to another country, I mean, I, I, who's to say that that's not a better place for him anyway? I mean, the United States has a lot of problems here. Um, uh, if they were to go to uh, another country, it, they may not 
it may not be horrible, but I still would like for us to keep our promise. You know, if we're going to make promises to people, let's keep them. You know, that we just lose a lot of credibility as, a, uh, as individuals and as a country if we don't do that. And I'm afraid that um, if I was to ever advise a, a potential Afghan interpreter to, to work in that capacity, I would say absolutely not, because you will be an afterthought. The, the Americans are going to, they're going to take care of themselves, and you will just be an afterthought. So don't do it. You put yourself at risk the minute you do that. So it's interesting as well that the Canadians, because the Canadians were there with us as well, and they are making the attempt to get the uh, the folks that helped them out to their sort of interpreters and advisors that uh, assisted the Canadian forces. And and uh, what the Canadians have said is um, they're just afraid that they won't have time under the current deadline to get all of their people out. And uh, the people that assisted them uh, for the past 20 years, but the Canadians are making the effort, and so that's a good thing too to get the people. Yes, yes, it is. It is a good thing. And so they're yeah. trying to get the people out that helped them uh, to Canada. So uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, and I wanted to say something in defense of the Afghan military. Uh, because I've heard comments about, well, first of all, from Biden, he said the bus stops with him, but immediately threw the Afghan military under the bus. As, you know, if they're not going to fight for their country, well, we've given them all the advantages, and if they can't uh, carry through with this, then, uh, you know, we're through. Um, the thing of it is, the government that was formed was formed really as a centralized government, which is really counter to everything in the Afghan culture. They're very tribal. And then when the minute that government was set up as a, as a centralized thing, the tribal leaders, the power brokers in their region, became at odds with that. And so they didn't... It, it never... And, and, and the centralized government was extremely corrupt. Money that should have been going uh, to uh, benefit all the people of Afghanistan was not. And as an example of that, Ghani, President Ghani, their leader, left with his entourage and $169 million to go to the United Arab Emirates. What kind of morale booster is that for that army? And uh, so, and, and as far as their fighting, you know, they lost about 70,000 people in a country of about 38 million people. And when we lost uh, 58 million or so, or 58,000 in the, uh, in the uh, Vietnam War, we were in a country of about 217 million at that time. So their losses have been significant. And their benefits, their death benefits for the families of these deceased people are paltry and often not fully even paid because it's such a corrupt system where the elite people are siphoning off all this money. So, and, and not only that, these Afghan um, fighters were not even getting paid, and they were not even getting fed. So, um, I, I think to, you know, to blame them, to me, seems uh, really wrong, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to see that happening. I don't want to see Biden saying it's all their fault. An awful lot of this is caused by our own cultural, cultural ignorance and our own inability to stop the corruption and 
uh, monitor the funds and how they were spent better than they were. So, folks, we've uh, you've been listening to uh, On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we've been discussing the rather unseemly exit of the United States from uh, Afghanistan with Andrea Veach. Uh, this is Forward Radio, WFMP, uh, Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And, again, if you go to... Uh, uh, forwardradio.org we're live streaming now and you can go to that website uh, click on a button and listen to us uh, anywhere in the country anywhere in the world and also uh, if you go to the forwardradio.org uh, website uh, uh, some and uh, not all of our shows are archived so Andrea I want to thank you so much for being here with us today you've been wonderful Well, I, I thank you so much for having me, and as I said, I'm just honored that you would care to hear my thoughts on this. I really am. All right. Thank you so much, folks, and we will be back next week.